Amen. Let's prepare Jesus Christ's room this Christmas. I want to thank you for joining us again this morning as we kick off our um, uh, week of prayer for international missions. So this week and next week, I'm going to be uh, speaking in various terms on the the subject of uh, Christian uh, missions, uh, and this morning I'm going to be talk, speaking from one verse, uh, John chapter 20, verse 21, so if you have a Bible, you could go ahead and begin uh, turning there. Um, but as I said before, this week, uh, or, or as Southern Baptists, we uh, are, have the uh, IMB, the International Mission Board, and uh, through it, we through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we support them. It's a significant, huge part of their budget, by the way. Um, but every dime that we give goes to support missionaries on the field. Um, if you know uh, some about mission work, uh, most missionary organizations require that their missionaries raise support. And so, as the missionaries are on the field, in addition to their the work that they're doing to get the gospel out. Uh, many of them are, are also uh, constantly uh, have in mind um, the need for support uh, back in the States. But our missionaries, thank the Lord through the generous gifts of Southern Baptists like you to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering through our cooperative program giving, which is 8% of our budget. Uh, our missionaries never have to worry about whether they're going to have a paycheck that month and have their needs met. And they never have to worry about it so they can give themselves wholeheartedly for the uh, mission of the gospel in other parts of the world. And so, as I said before, um, uh, let's give generously to this offering. Our goal is 2500 I know we can beat that, folks. I know we can blow it out of the water. All right? But as we begin uh, this, um, this morning, let, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you again for your love for us through Jesus Christ. And we just ask your help now. Teach us from your word as you have sent Jesus, Lord, so you're sending us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to contemplate what exactly it is you are sending us to do and help us believe it, trust it, obey it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and read our text this morning. Uh, so if you're able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? We're going to read uh, from John chapter 20, and just for context, we're going to begin in verse 19. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Word of God. You may be seated. What I want to do this morning is, um, uh, based off of Jesus' statement there in verse 21, As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. What I want to do is I want to look through the book of John, and I want us to look at how John, in his gospel, which, is, which we're reading in John 20 there, how John understands uh, uh, 
the way in which Jesus was sent to the world. In other words, if, if Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, what we want to figure out is how then was Jesus sent? Because when we figure out how Jesus was sent, then we'll have an idea of what Jesus means when he says, so I am sending you. And we're going to see four things from our from various passages to the book of John this morning. Four things. Number one, we are sent to know God. Number two, we are sent to please God. Number three, we are sent to speak the words of God. And number four, we are sent to save souls for God. So again, we are sent to know God. We are sent to please God. We are sent to speak the words of God. And finally, we are sent to save souls for God. So first here, we are sent to know God. John 17, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, so... Look at the connection there. There's a connection between Jesus Christ, whom God has sent, and then the purpose for which he has been sent, namely that, that through Christ we might come to know God. So Jesus Christ was sent that we might know God. And what, what hinges on knowing God? That's, what does Jesus say that hinges on knowing God? Eternal life. That's what Jesus says. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? So what does this do? It means that the world is divided into two groups. Those who have eternal life by means of knowing God in Jesus Christ, and those who don't have eternal life because they don't know God in Jesus Christ. Everyone's either in one of two categories. Everything hinges on knowing God in Jesus Christ, and it's... And it's Jesus Christ who has made God known. You know, in the, in the business world, uh, networking is a popular term. And people will tell you all the time, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's a, that's a true principle. It, it, at the end of days, it won't, no, it won't matter what you know, it will matter who you know. If you know Jesus Christ and and God who sent him, then you have eternal life. If you don't know him, you don't have it. In John 1, 9 and 10, John opens his gospel in this way. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then, but then in verse 18, it says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. That's a dense statement. No one has ever seen God, but the only God, namely Jesus Christ, who's at the Father's side, is the Trinity, right? God the Son, who is at the Father's side, He has made the Father known. If you want to know God the Father, you have to know God the Son. There's no other way. And Jesus Christ was sent that we might know God. And in the same way as Jesus Christ was sent that we might know God, 
so we are sent to know God, and we are sent so that others through us might come to know God. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, Jesus said. There will be no loss so great as not knowing God. And there will be no gain so great as knowing the one for whom you were made. If you do not know God, life is meaningless. It's worthless. It's eternal death. But the greatest thing that we can do is know God. J.I. Packer, in his classic work, Knowing God, which I recommend to you, he says this on the, uh, on the, the very first page of the first chapter. The highest science... The loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which could ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. That's true. So Christ has come that through him, God sent Jesus so that through him we might know God and in the same way Jesus is sending us. So number one, we're sent to know God. Number two, we are sent to please God. John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. God the Father sent God the Son in order to please him. Jesus Christ came in order to please God, in order to fulfill all that God had purposed for the world. In the one person of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism, it says this. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well In the same way, we are sent to please God. A son delights to make his father proud. And in the same way, we, like Jesus Christ, are sent into the world to please our good and gracious and loving father. We are, everyone is born once, but not everyone is born twice. Jesus said, you must be born again. And if you are born again, you are born into, reborn into the family of God. God becomes your father. And in Jesus Christ then, as he came to please God, so we can too by the power of the Holy Spirit. We please God. We are sent to please God just as Jesus was. Now, how is it that we please God? The Bible tells us. Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, without faith... It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How, does a, how do we please God if we're sent by God to please him? We please God through a life of faith. Remember that faith is not merely just, just uh, some kind of intellectual assent to a body of facts. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Da, da, da. Well, anybody could say that. Faith is not just intellectual assent to a body of facts. Faith is a, is a total change in perspective. It's a total change in worldview, in heart, in affections, in motivations. 
A life of faith, according to the Bible, is a life that is lived in conscious awareness that there is a God to whom I belong. And that everything I do is, is flows from a desire to please him because he sees, he knows, he's watching, he's good, he's faithful. That's a life of faith. And when you, when you have that perspective on the world, which is faith, everything you do is supposed to flow from faith. And therefore, everything you do is supposed to please God because it is done in obedience to him, in awareness to him, in a desire to please him. This is what we're called to. And think, this is what Jesus did. It's astounding Jesus is the perfect model of what it means to be fully human. Humanity had the great and high calling of, of, of fulfilling God's purpose, of knowing God and walking with him in perfect trust. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And it's astounding when you think about it because Jesus was God himself, God the Son. And yet, even as God the Son, he came in total surrender to God the Father. It's astounding. Look, look, uh, look at these verses, John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, 30. I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus was in total and utter awareness that everything he did was to fulfill the will of God the Father. And it's, it's to be the same way for us. Jesus had a singular vision of his entire life. A singular goal, a single guiding purpose for his whole existence, the whole reason why he came. Everything he did, every word he said, every thought, he, every thought that he thought was captive to this purpose of doing God's will for his life. And in the same way, God is sending us. If we're in Christ, then we belong to another. That means that we now no longer have a will of our own. But our will is to be completely surrendered to God's will, to be God, to be God captivated. Not that we're just, you know, uh, slavish robot type things, but our will is to be surrendered to God in this sense, that we know and trust and believe that God's will is perfect and good and great and better for us than anything we could plan for ourselves. So why would I want to follow my own will when God's is so much greater? And that's how Jesus came, and that's how we're to go. We are sent to know God. We are sent to please God. And number three, we are sent to speak the words of God. We're sent to speak the words of God. In John three thirty two and following, it's, uh, it's John the Baptist speaking about Jesus. And this is what John the Baptist says about Jesus. He says, He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. John says that Jesus was sent to speak God's words. So again, it's astounding. Jesus, 
didn't come claiming, he could have, but he didn't come claiming to speak his own words. He came claiming to speak God the Father's words. That's the only words he had to speak. A lot of people are saying a lot of things today. All over the news, you know, people are clamoring, clamoring, clamoring for you to hear what they have to say. Right? We got social media so that any, any Joe Blow in the whole world can just expose everything they want to say to everybody in the world. And it's just not, you know, that's dangerous. All right? Everyone, there's whole, there's whole businesses dedicated to helping you get a bigger platform so more people can hear what you have to say. Everyone's clamoring to say, say, say something for other people to hear what they have to say. And the one person that everyone should be listening to, nobody's listening to. God has spoken. Are you listening? Jesus Christ came to speak the words of God. It will not matter what the news commentators or the sports commentators or whatever have to say. It will matter what God has said and whether we listen to it. Jesus came to speak God's words in John 12, 49. That's what it says. I have not come. I have not, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So what, what exactly does God, what, what are the things that Jesus is proclaiming? Well, uh, in our earlier passage in John 3 there, John the Baptist says that Jesus came proclaiming what he has seen and heard. When we talk about what we have seen and heard and are proclaiming that, what he's talking about is the word testimony. There is a testimony. One of the primary things that Jesus came to do was to give testimony concerning himself. Testimony about who he was right jesus came making very specific claims about who he is right and so everybody in the world has to deal with what jesus has spoken with concerning himself right is the famous thing that c.s lewis said that jesus christ is either a liar or lunatic or he's lord because you don't say the things that jesus say and just think everything's normal when you say before abraham was i am you're either a liar or you're mentally insane or you are totally different than anybody else in this world. Right? There's no, there's no room for this, oh, he's a nice guy, moral rabbi, kind of teacher, my friend kind of dude. There's no room for that. Everyone has to deal with the claims of who Jesus Christ is. If he was who he said he was, then every knee must bow. And to not bow the knee is to rebel against the king of the world. And so we all have to deal with Jesus' testimony. And what about Jesus' testimony? In John 5, Jesus explains a little bit about his testimony. He says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Talking about John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you've never heard his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, Jesus isn't talking to atheists. 
He's talking to the most religious people in Israel. And he says, you don't know me, and you refuse to come to me. You see, Jesus had a testimony. He testified to who he was by his own words, but he didn't just say, take my word for it. Anybody can do that. He said, the works that the Father has given me testify about him. Jesus Christ banished sickness and disease in Israel for three years. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. The lame walked. The blind saw. The deaf heard when they met Jesus Christ. And think about it. These people in Jesus' day, they saw everything that Jesus did. And they didn't believe him. Don't say that if you saw a miracle, then you would believe. You wouldn't. People saw miracles, and they didn't believe. You don't, when you, you don't believe, people don't believe in Jesus Christ because they don't want to believe in him. Because they don't want to surrender their will to his will because they still think they know better than God. And they still think that their way will bring them happiness, and they don't see that it's leading to destruction. And Jesus says, come to me that you may have life. True life. So in So Jesus proclaimed by his works, and Jesus also proclaimed by his words. And it's striking to note here that Jesus makes the point to say that they thought that they had life in the scriptures, and Jesus makes the point to say, and and it is they that testify about me. As As we proclaim God's word, the way that we reveal Christ to people is by proclaiming the scripture. We proclaim the scripture, we proclaim the truth of the Bible because it's in the Bible that Jesus is seen. But Jesus, Jesus didn't just testify with his words, he also testified by his works. Now, of course, Jesus was referring to his miracles. But nevertheless, at the, in the same way that Jesus testified by his words and his, and his works, so we testify by our words and our works about Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus said this. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right? So we testify to Jesus Christ as the Father has sent Jesus. So Jesus is sending us to testify to who he is both by our words and by our works. Right? So in the the same way that Jesus healed the sick and fed the hungry and all these things, we too do good works. Not just good works who proclaim the gospel, but we do good works to show people that Jesus Christ is sent from God. That, it is, that, that, he, that he is supernatural. And this is important too. Because th- this, is, this is hard part. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because sometimes we think that it's, it's you know, it's just, we just got to be nice. And I'm all for being nice. Everyone in this room should be nice. But you don't need the Holy Spirit to be nice. Okay? Lots of un- I've met lots of really nice unbelievers. What shows the kind of works that shows the world that Jesus Christ is real is when we are willing to sacrifice ourselves, to inconvenience ourselves, to go out of our way, to take pains to help somebody out. That's when it shows, okay, something is different about this person. And so, and so when we, as we think about how we're to proclaim Christ in this world, in our lives, in our community... 
We should be thinking about this. How can I proclaim Christ with my words and also with my actions? How can I do things that will go above and beyond to tell them that I'm not just trying to be nice, but that I have a supernatural Savior who has loved me even though I don't deserve it, and I'm going to take pains to serve you because my Christ took pains to serve me. And that is what shows the reality, the validity of our faith. That Peter uh, Peter makes this comment that, that, that people will ask you for the hope that is within you. But people won't ask you that if you're... There's the expectation there that Peter is saying that we will be living such a life that people are going to come and say, what is, what is different about you? And it's that kind of life that shows the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ. So we're sent to know God. We're sent to please God. We're sent to speak the, work, the words of God. And finally, we are sent to save souls for God. We are sent to save souls for God. I think this is probably the most likely intended meaning or main meaning of what Jesus was saying in John twenty twenty one, When he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And the reason for that is because in the immediate following verse, uh, he talks about them receiving the Holy Spirit, which is closely associated with the, the mission of proclaiming the gospel. Because in Acts 1-8, it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And also, in, the, in verse 23 there, it talks about the forgiveness of sins. And so, I think the, the most important meaning, and the meaning that has most to do with missions week this week is that as Jesus was sent, so we are sent, and that is to save souls for God. Now, of course, I heavily debated putting it this way because the fact of the matter is we don't save anybody. God is the only one who can save. Only Jesus Christ can save. Only God can change the heart and remove the blindness that Paul says that the God of this world has placed on the minds of the unbelievers. But nevertheless, there is a sense in which this word is appropriate to say that we are sent to save souls from, uh, for God because Paul says it. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That is, that God is the one who ultimately saves anyone, but he uses means to accomplish his ends. You see it? God uses means to accomplish his ends. God is the one who saves, but he doesn't just, he doesn't just wave a magic wand and voila, saves everybody. He, he has appointed that the means of his salvation would be through his redeemed people going out to the world and proclaiming the gospel. Because the gospel, Romans 1.16, is the power of God for salvation. So the means of salvation is us. God wields us, wields you, wields me as a carpenter wields a hammer to, to, to drive home the gospel of Jesus Christ that people might be saved. We are tools in the Lord's hands to proclaim the gospel that people might hear, repent, believe, and find their everlasting joy in Jesus Christ. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending 
you. That's what, that's what the fam- most famous verse in the Bible says in the following verse. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In the same way, though not in the same, in, the, in a different sense, but in a similar way, we are sent into the world. It could be said that God did not send us into the world to condemn the world. Some Christians act like that, that God sent us into the world to condemn the world. You don't have to condemn the world. They're condemning themselves. You don't have to condemn them. God did not, does not send us into the world to condemn the world, but that, but that the world might be saved through us as we proclaim the Savior, Jesus Christ. This was, this was shocking to the Jews. Because, you know, if you remember when we talked about Galatians, if you read the book of Acts and, and most of Paul's letters, his great burden is to deal with the, the, the biggest problem that happened in the days of the early church, and that is that the Jews could not understand how non-Jews could be saved. Because what? They're not part of God's people. They're not children of Abraham. They didn't get the promises of God. And all of Paul's letters in the book of Acts are showing how, how Gentiles, yes, Gentiles, you, could be saved. Thank God. Thank God. The, 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 the disciples at first did not get this. When Jesus in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, okay, he's talking to her and he's blowing their minds because he's like, why are you, they're, they're like, why is he talking to a, a Samaritan woman? But they didn't say anything to him because he's Jesus. And then, and then they're talking about food and Jesus said in John four thirty four, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Disciples are worried about why Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand. There's a harvest to be had. I am here for her. I am here for them. I am here not just for the Jews, but for the world Jesus is saying and it's just hard to it's just hard to grasp how difficult this was for the Jews to get but that but that's what Christian that's what it is that's what, that that's our only hope is that Jesus Christ didn't just come for the Jews but for the Gentiles for people of all nations that all of Adam's race might one day be restored to the humanity that we were called to be, children of the Most High God. There's a harvest to be had out there. There's a harvest to be had out here. 
and in this city and state and nation and the furthermost parts of the earth, there's a harvest to be had, Jesus said. It's white. The gospel is not just for the Jews. Thank God. It's not just for Americans or for people of a certain skin color. It's for everyone who will believe in him. And Paul, Paul fought tooth and nail. That's what, remember the whole book of Galatians, he was defending himself. He was fighting tooth and nail for the sake of the gospel because if the Galatians turned back to the Judaism and got circumcised, they were saying all over again that only Jews could be saved, so they had to become Jews to be saved. And he's saying, whoa, that's the gospel. We don't have to be Jews to be saved. The gospel saves everybody. And for 2,000 years of church history, the church has taken this gospel and this commission of God, this being sent of God, seriously. How do I know that? Because we're here in this room. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, thousands of miles away from here, a man rose from the dead. And 2,000 years, 2,000 years later, thousands of miles across the ocean, we worship that man. Why? Because people took this seriously. And they went and they gave of themselves and they sacrificed so that others might know who Jesus is. And let me tell you something, church. In 1923, Second Baptist Church was founded right here because they said that there needs to be a gospel presence right here in this community. And now we're Cottondale Baptist Church, and we stand right here. And we are standing, we are standing on the faithfulness of past generations who have labored and worked to get the gospel here. But hear me now. We cannot live on other people's faithfulness. We have to be faithful in our generation. The torch, the torch has been handed to us. It's in our hand. It's burning. The gospel of Jesus Christ is burning as a torch in our hand. If we don't pass it on, it will, the flame will die in our hand. Don't, don't. Don't get me wrong. The mission doesn't hang on us. God doesn't need us. If we don't do it, someone else will. But God help us if we don't. Let not the torch die in our hand. It has been handed to us. Now we must pass it on to the world, to the next generation, to this community, to our children and their children. The church of every age is only one generation from dying. If we don't pass it on, souls are perishing out there. And what must we do? We got to do something. We have to do something. We have to take the pain. Believers, we, we learn about, you know, not, I, I want to talk about it next week, not necessarily everybody. Is called to go to Uganda and be a missions doctor. And so, you know, and so you, you whew, breathe a sigh of relief. Well, no, don't breathe yet. Everybody's called to something. When it comes to missions, you either go or you send or you disobey. Right? Everyone has a mission field, everyone's called to something. 
And we, 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 ha we have to look, we have to lift up our eyes to see the harvest. And we have to take the pains. People take pains. People call to God, take pains to go across the world to share the gospel. We have to take pains here to share the gospel. It may be the awkwardness of bringing it up. We don't want it. But we can take the pain of awkwardness for the sake of someone's eternal soul. We can. You can. The pain of knocking on doors. We knocked on some doors yesterday. Had some great conversations. Fantastic conversations. People need Jesus Christ. People need hope. And we're all, we're so scared, myself included, that people are going to get so mad when we knock on the doors. When about eight times out of ten when you knock on the doors, they're wondering why someone from that church hadn't come knocked on their door yet. Charles Spurgeon said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This week is Missions Week. We contemplate God's worldwide glory in proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth and our role in it. We go, we send, or we disobey. We have the opportunity this week to pray. God hears prayers. God answers. We have the opportunity to give this week to support those who take the gospel to the far reaches of the earth. And I pray that we will go, that some will go in the upcoming uh, uh, months and years that we'll, we'll, we'll plan, we'll take mission trips be willingness to go, and who knows, Lord knows that some might call some up from this very church to say, God is calling me to take the gospel over there to those who don't have it. Would that he would do that because the torch is in our hands and I refuse to let it die here. We must pass it on to others. We must pray, give, and go. Lottie Moon said, Surely there can be no greater joy than that of saving souls. Sometimes when we think about missions, we think about the sacrifice, but we forget about the joy. A little bit of sacrifice, a little bit of awkwardness won't mean nothing compared to the everlasting joy that you will find knowing that you were God's means of bringing someone into the kingdom. The cost doesn't matter in view of the reward. We are sent to know God. We are sent to please God. We are sent to speak the words of God. And number four, we are, see, we are sent to save souls for God. None of this is possible. You are not yet sent by God if you do not yet know God. And you can know him today through Jesus Christ who came and paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, 
who rose from the dead, saying that he has conquered the penalty for sins and that all who trust in him will be forgiven of our sins and have the sure hope of eternal life. That is true if you turn from your sin, turn from your own will and say, no longer is it my will, God, but thy will be done in me. I repent, I believe in you. The Bible says you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your